0: just one game to talk about this week which of course was the impressive 1-0 win at Swindon Town Ashley Platt is pleased with three wins and three clean sheets for the Alex including two teams in the top six however he doesn't feel confident that he can take another 1-0 anytime soon Stuart Grimley thinks that the Alex worked their socks off had some chances some excellent subs and some excellent changes of tactics a hard fought three points on the road Uh, Neil Bergen thought there was some top quality gamesmanship from Dan Ajayi, or words to that effect, Daniel simply called it an unbelievable win, whilst Panini Union suggested that we should let the bell toll loud. Meanwhile, Andrew Bamforth thought Okonko was magnificent and he was the match winner. Paul Taylor was very fond of the way that Lee Bell was playing the binary system. Where Brad Budden thought it was a great win and he really thinks we should be extending Connor's loan at Wraith with the recent return to form of Billy Sass Davis. Nat Holland thought that we had to dig deep for that one. Uh, thought we, he also thought we delve really deeply into the dark arts of time wasting and game management and it was really good to see how much that rattled the home team. Simon John Spencer thought it was a brilliant win and he also loved the winding up and the effect it had on the opposition fans and players. Trevor Griffiths um, of this very pod felt it was good to see the grinders get a, yet another three points on the board. Ryan Haywood contributed that uh, Okwanko and offered our defensive cheat codes at this level. Ritza Judson thought that we sucked it up for the first 20 minutes, then grabbed a goal before giving our good friends from Swindon a lesson in game management. And finally, Graham Miles thought it was an excellent battling performance where we defended manfully, and Swindon didn't really create much other than one good save from Arthur. He thought we were very professional and we kept going to break up play. He was glad to have a happy car journey home for a change. Hello and welcome to the Railway Men podcast. Stuart is unavailable for selection once more this week, so I shall be continuing as the interim host. Um, Obviously, I'm going to need a panel to discuss the latest 1-0 win of Lee Bell's reign. Um, On the panel this week are Andy Kinnear. Good morning. Crew Alex Chats' favourite, Mark Bertels. Hello. And returning last week, he's retained his spot in the starting 11, Alex Irani. Undroppable, clearly. <laughs> the Luke offered of the podcast. So um, tough visit to Swindon. Um, one change to the starting eleven with King coming in for Rio Adabisi, which would suggest um, a change to
1: um, the lineup. Obviously, um, Mark, did that come as a surprise to you? Uh, not particularly. No, um, I was. I'm all right with Uwakwe at uh, at left back. Um, I don't think we've seen the best of King yet, and. Um, other than that, you know, it, it, I think there were, it, there were changes that were forced upon the manager rather than he, he wanted to make because obviously his record is, well, was played two one two one 2 no goals against. So you don't really want to change that. Um, but being honest, and I will be completely honest, at, at three o'clock I didn't really think it mattered what the lineup was. I didn't think we were going to get anything at all because our record down there is so bad. I think it's one win in the last eleven visits um, to the
0: county ground. So I think, yeah, you are absolutely right. Things didn't look good. Now, for
2: a bonus point, when was the win? Chris Porter scored, didn't he? He got he got both of them, and he had one chalked off for a hat trick as well when he was about eight yards on side, which was quite funny. Sorry <laughs> to interrupt. Carry on. <laughs> That's fine. What well, when was it? Now, Mister 29? It was Twenty Eighteen, Easter Monday.
0: Okay. Okay. Is that the one uh, we're on? No, talking? it was.
2: I beg your pardon. It was Twenty Nineteen. Okay. It was the 18-19 season.
0: Wow, marvellous. Now, Swindon and Crewe don't necessarily have a big rivalry, but there were some interesting developments in the lead-up to kickoff that kind of made the fixture maybe a little bit more tasty and tempestuous than it would have been, with the news that um, Paul Caddis... Um, former full of Swindon, was going to be on the pitch at half-time, parading around the League Two trophy that Swindon won during the curtailed COVID season. Now, not that I'm taking things personally, but I made a barbed comment about Swindon winning the league title on last week's pod. They're playing crew at home, and it created a fair bit of bad feeling on social media. Was there a feeling of that on the terraces before the game, Alex? Did people feel a bit annoyed
2: about what they'd heard? Sorry to pop the bubble, but not really. I think yeah. mean, there was a, there was a general apathy that no one really cared, and I think anyone who was on the terrace at, at, at before the game will be likely in the bar at half time, so they wouldn't have seen it anyway. I didn't see it. I wasn't bothered. You know, if they want to shit house, I don't know. I shouldn't say it on a family podcast. Good luck to them. All it did is made them look quite petty, and actually came back and bit them on the arse because we got the result. It was the ultimate karma, wasn't it, really? And if we'd done something
0: like that at home, I can imagine that we would get turned over as well.
1: It yeah. bothered me. It, it absolutely bothered me. Um, I don't think there was any need for it. And, I, and you know, I take issue with your words, Steve, that they won the trophy. They didn't win it. They were presented it. We, uh, The final table will always be the final table. And we were top of it. Um, and I hope that when they paraded that trophy that they... Created it with the side showing that had the asterisks uh, engraved in it say, i was just
3: going to add a little bit to say because i'm um i think you guys know but i'm based in the west country so um i have to live and kind of work in in this you know in this community so i just want to put on record what what an amazing superb club swindon town are honestly genuinely admire them <laughs> sorry i can't keep my face straight Gen- <laughs> genuinely admire them <laughs> And um, I thought it was a strange thing. I think I'd say a couple of things. Firstly, Paul Cadic was doing that because he was raising awareness to, uh, to 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 seek extra funding for type one diabetes research. And I think it was a laudable, you know, ambition that he was, you know, that he was trying to do. And that could have, frankly, been achieved by just dragging him onto the pitch to say a few words about um, about his campaign. We didn't have to trot out two trophies. I think the bit there was a tiny wind up. Was when the mascot grabbed the trophy from, um, you know, from the from the you know the dubious season, and and came up in front of the crew fans and was giving it the big I am, pumping it above his head, and and all of that. And I thought, um, you know, the way the crew fans stood and applauded and acknowledged the great club that Swindon Town are was, you know, was was absolutely superb reaction from um, from from the crew fans. Um, obviously, history might show that that wasn't exactly what happened. Um, but I think for the benefits of the recording,
0: let's go Let's go with that version of events. Well, I have to say, this is almost like a BBC pod. So fair and balanced in our approach. It's very, very impressive. It's no wonder we got nominated for an award. Um, back to events on the pitch. And and Swindon started well, had a lot of the ball, but weren't really testing Arthur. And, and he certainly wasn't under the kind of pressure that then bottom of the table Colchester placed him under a week ago. And... Um, and then out of the blue, it was the Alex who took the lead via a penalty. This came from some really tenacious work by Kelvin Meller after a corner had broken down. Andy, what was your perspective on the penalty? Well, we
3: were a long way away. Say so that firstly, we we're right at the other the other end of the pitch. I, do you know what? Meller's an enigma for me. I, I can get as happy with him and as cross with him in almost the same moment at times. But... When he gets in and around, you know, the box, it's like his effort level goes up another, another notch. And um, I don't know if you know if folks can remember, old enough to remember, but Forrest had a, a fullback called Viv Anderson back in the uh the late 80s and uh, sorry, in the um late 70s, early 80s. And 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 Miller reminds me of that when he gets in the box, he, he, those sort of telescopic legs reach out and they create a bit of a problem for the defender because I'm absolutely convinced the defender was was on for the ball, you know, when, when he's gone in for the challenge, he's thinking he's getting the ball and you're just not expecting a nine foot leg to reach over and get in the way. And um, I mean, that's off to him. I thought he was, you know, he was, he was excellent in that position. And there's something about him that just, it's like his game lifts when he gets within 30 yards of the box. He's just, he's a different player. I can't quite fathom it out, but um, yeah, great effort. And, um, you know, totally against the run of play, to be absolutely honest. It's like you said, I thought Swindon were, were excellent in the first you know bit. They're their three in midfield um absolutely bossed it over our three. They were they were just the you know first half they were they were superb. Um and so we've just, you know, we've got up there and he's created something out of nothing to be honest and it was brilliant.
2: They didn't do much though, did they? In the sense of yeah they knocked it around, they looked okay, they did look better than us. But like we said, Arthur wasn't tested. They weren't cutting us open at will. We stayed compact and we sort of let them have it in areas where they weren't really hurting us. I mean on the Kelvin Mellor point, I, I did worry that, because he was obviously at right back, which was in front of us, so you could see where he's defending. He always seemed to yard off his man. Yeah. And I was like, you need to get tighter here because the further anything kept on backing off, backing off, and I was like, you're going to get yourself into trouble here because there's a penalty on the cards because you keep on backing off into the area and you're that like, yard away. By the time you do engage, you're likely to be just that half a step out and then bang, you go down, the fella goes down because you've made contact with him. Um, But he sort of, they never really drove at him enough to force that indecision. And they seem to, it all seemed to be in front of us look quite pretty. I, I never really thought, Oh, there's a goal coming here.
0: Back to the penalty. Um, and um Aggie's technique was quite interesting. And obviously we saw a lot of penalties in the recent pizza cup game against Leeds. And, um, and the modern day footballer seems to have acquired this, this strange technique of, of not running up, but a slight stroll up and then a shuffle. Um and and any any takes on um Aggie's technique
2: for the penalty, Alex? I, I think he's trying. Firstly, he grabbed the ball off Connor Thomas to take the penalty. So I'm not necessarily sure he was designated penalty taker. Him and Thomas were having a right old conference, and in the end, Aggie just took the ball off him and said, I'm having this which, considering I believe Thomas's last effort was a rather tame one against Stevenage, I don't think there can be many complaints. Um, I think the technique, and I'm... I mean, I did used to take penalties back in the day, but I didn't subscribe to this technique. I used to just be, put your foot behind it. Um, I think they're trying to sit the goalkeeper down, or at least get the goalkeeper to commit to one side by the stutter, and then you, you go the other side. The keeper didn't really commit, and then in the end, he just ended up putting his foot through it anyway, which makes me think, couldn't you have just done that from the outset? But there's two types of penalty. There's a good penalty It's there's a bad penalty. Good penalties are one that goes in the goal. Bad penalties are one that don't. That was the former because it went in the goal. It's quite simple as far as I'm concerned.
0: And then there was a rather interesting celebration. Um, Mark, are you, are you a fan of the fingers in the
1: ears to the home fans behind the goal celebration? Uh, not normally, but on this occasion, absolutely. I remember years ago... Um, one Tony Naylor scoring a goal very early at Vale Park and uh, he did it in front of the away end and I was absolutely incensed. I could quite easily have run on the pitch and uh, grabbed hold of him. But yesterday, watching the anger from those Swindon fans was, um, was beautiful.
0: <laughs> absolutely. And again, I'm, I'm not normally a great fan of it, but I did quite enjoy it. And stayed there for quite a long period of time as well, didn't he? It's normally a brief one, but he actually stood there taking it in, which I, I found immensely enjoyable. Um, obviously it was it's, almost
2: as if he was waiting for something to get thrown at him. He yeah. was like, right, I'm fingers in the ears, come on then, what are you going to throw at me? I'm ready for it. And then it obviously never came.
0: So, 1-0 up. Um, and again, as we've mentioned, there's a lot of pressure from Swindon. Um, and actually, I, I took issue of their manager's comments after the match because he said, we did everything but score. Now, if I'm honest, Arthur, the Colchester manager last week, had a reason to say that because Arthur pulled off three amazing stops. Now, to my mind, the best save Arthur made yesterday was the header from Jetcott in that first half that he tipped over, which even then to me wasn't in the, the kind of realm of what he did last week. Um, so, um, Andy, what do you reckon to those comments of the manager? Did they do everything but score? I
2: don't
3: know if they did everything, but they did. I mean, if I was a Swindon fan, I'd have been, I'd have been gutted that they didn't, you know, that we haven't scored. If you can put it like that, I thought they, I thought they got the ball in our box a lot. Um, I mean, the kiddie that's hit the bar, he should have scored. I mean, he's he's got off the goal to it with it with his header. He's, I don't know, he's, I don't know, he's missed it to be honest. And um, they had a scramble where uh, I think there was a key, the keeper saves it and it comes back to the kiddie and he's just got to blast it in the net and he and he scuffs it up and over the bar. So there was there was two or three moments where. You know, you could imagine as a Swindon fan, you'd have your head in your hands, thinking, "How haven't we scored there?" I don't know if I don't know if I'd go as far as to say they did everything but score. I mean, they played a lot of good football. Um, I thought they looked a, you know, really excellent team. And the kiddie down the right, um, Hutton, the their the right back number two. I mean, he had he had all, both of our left backs on toast. To be honest, he was getting in and getting crosses in. Um, and I was sort of surprised they weren't better at getting on the end of them, considering he was doing it all the time. you sort of figuring out, come on, strikers, you'd you, you you know, you'd be expecting them to do better. Having said that, I thought our centre-halves were fabulous. You know, the, the two of them, and then when McDonald come on, it just looked even stronger. And I thought we defended crosses, you know, really, really well. So I can see why their manager was frustrated. I mean, they had a huge amount of possession and they played a lot of good football. Um but and they did have two or three, you know, really good goal-scoring chances. I thought uh, so. Yeah, I could, I can sort of see where he's coming from. But I think everything he's probably overstating it
1: a little bit. I'm with you, Steve. I um, this is no slur on on uh, Arthur whatsoever because I think he's improved immensely and looks like a, a professional League One, League Two, Championship goalkeeper these days. But he didn't do anything that you would expect him not to. I think that's credit to Crew. The, the chances that we did give away were were from not the most dangerous areas apart from the, the header that he tipped over the ball. And You're quite right. He should have, you know, it, when you say we did everything but score, you you would imagine that it was like Jason Keaton-esque at Blackburn years ago. And it just wasn't like that at all. Um, they, For all the possession uh, that they had and the, the crosses that came in, crew were extremely resolute and organized and defended on the whole extremely well.
3: I'd agree with that, Mark. I think the defenders are looking stronger because the keeper is looking more confident it yep. was interesting to me, that that free kick they got in the, whatever it was, 93rd minute in the, pretty much on the edge of the box in the day. And, um, you know, we settled the thing and they put the, you know, um, a whack line, even lying down behind the, you know. The Dra- draft the
2: excluder, draft, draft yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, doing all of that bit. And I was just looking out from the other end and thought, there's no way they're going to score here. The keeper just looked so massive in the goal and he just looked so confident. And he was like, there's no way I'm letting this in and letting this, you know, letting this victory go away at this point. And it was you could sort of feel the
2: the confidence almost in the defence, I felt. It was it was great. I'm a bit old school in the sense, I like a big goalkeeper. I think it's just the presence. I think it makes a massive difference. And I know football's moved away because they want goalkeepers. You know, they start the attacks from the back. They want to be able to use their feet. they like these younger, smaller keepers who are more nimble, all that sort of stuff. But I don't think you can be a big goalkeeper who fills the goal, who gives confidence to defence. And if anything, it intimidates the attacking a bit because you're thinking, Bloody hell, am I going to score, score past that bloke? He's massive. And I think you did have that presence with our. You, you do get that presence with Arthur now. Even the one, I'm, I mean, he flapped at the cross and then matey boy or kiddie, as you call it. I quite like that, Andy. I might use that. Kiddie what? smashed it over the bar. That was probably a better chance than the header. I think the header was quite, it was a whipped cross. So he sort of just had to angle it and it's sort of more of an instinctive header. Um, but the, the, the one where it broke to him and he just blazed it over, that was really the chance. But that was it. Uh, it was two chances in 90 minutes. So to say they've done everything but score um, is nonsense, frankly. They had two chances. That's not doing everything but score. That's creating two chances in 90 minutes of football as a home team against a side in mid-table or you know, lower mid-table as we are. That's not everything but score. You should be doing more than that.
0: I'm going to stick with you, Alex, because 10 minutes into the second half, Rob McDonald makes his return. Comes on for Brook. So obviously we switch to a back five. Um, what, what was the thinking behind that, do you reckon?
2: I think he wanted to shore it up a bit and I th- he wanted to get. A, we didn't look that solid. I think he was a bit concerned that we need shoring up a bit. They felt like they were getting a bit of joy down the left with. Um, I think the at that stage was playing left back um, at the time and they bought on. You're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, but I think the um sorry, McDonald was the first sub and he went to a left and the way went to left wing back. He looks more comfortable at, at left wing-back, I think, in Wakwe, because he's got the insurance policy behind him as a left center off, And it allows him, he's better going forward than he is going backward. So I think the idea was to get Wakwe further up the pitch. The issue you've got is Kelvin Miller isn't the wing-back. I think, if anything, he's more suited to the right centre-back role. So it does mean he's can be, end up being a bit lopsided, because actually your width is coming from the left-hand side. And as an opposition, you can probably set up for that. But it worked. We did. It sort of just settled us a bit because there was a bit, you know, they were building up a bit of a head of steam. You were worried where it was going to go. Concrete Wad came on, shored it up and there was just a bit more stability at the back.
1: I, I like Tariqa Watway at uh, left back because of the attacking threat. And obviously we saw the benefit of that last week when we got the winner, um, because I don't think Rio would ever have put that cross in. But wackwade struggled yesterday to stop any sort of crosses coming into the box. And I think maybe that was the, the thinking of bringing on the extra centre-half to, to head out the box. Um, but just quickly on that, before he changed to a, uh, a back five, we obviously had Billy sass Davis in um, a back two again, where me and others have said he can't play. And we haven't let a goal in yet while he's been there. Um so, you know, I have to hold my hands up and say I was wrong. Um, and to give massive credit where it's due, you know, he's come into the side. He's obviously um Lee Bell obviously favours him more than David Artell and Alex Morris did. He's put faith in him. I think it's really good that Rob McDonald didn't come straight back into the side at his expense because that sends out the wrong message. Um, and at the moment he's earning his place in the team and you you can't argue with his selection. We haven't let a goal in yet under the lead bell's uh, tenure. So uh, well done, Billy Sass-Davis.
3: I don't want to... Sorry, I was going to add to that, Mark. I think I think that's, you know, brilliant commentary. I also think that when McDonald come on, we played more football. It was like we were suddenly a bit, little bit more solid back there. So everybody's confidence seemed to lift a little bit and we passed the ball around, you know, more than we'd done any other time in the game. And I, I couldn't quite fathom out what was going on because it was, it, I think you're right, Alex, it was definitely brought on to shore up the defence and, to deal with the amount of crosses that were coming in, but at the same time, we suddenly looked like a better football team. With you know, with with that now, whether that was the fact that Iwaka is then moved out, you know, into a slightly you know wider wing back position, I, I I don't know, but it was it was a it was a good move. It was a you know, I thought it was a significant substitution. Actually, it
2: made a real difference to the way crew looked. Just on on those two points. So, Mark, I'll start with your point firstly, and this isn't a criticism of Billy sass Davis, but I don't think we've kept the clean sheets because of him. And I'm not saying we wouldn't have, you know, you can't argue, the stats are the stats, we've kept three clean sheets in three games, but I'd say it's more been in spite of him. If we'd have conceded last week, let's take the Colchester late chance, he was absolutely nowhere for that long ball over the top. You know, Offord and Arthur have probably been the two that have been the mainstays of these clean sheets. Now, that's not to criticise Billy, he's been in the side when we kept three clean sheets playing center half, and he's played every minute. So, pat on the back, well done but there's still a lot of room for improvement there. And I'd still be looking to get McDonald back in that side once he's fit. Now, if he's going to go to a three, it's different, because then you can have Billy as the centre of the three. You have Offord
1: flanking him to the right, and you have McDonald flanking him to the left. I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I think you're quite right. We don't want to go over the top, but I'm just trying to give credit where, where it's due. And... Listening to you then it's also quite comforting to think that we've got Zach Williams and Conor O'Reardon to come back in. So it's centre-half at the moment. We're extremely well-stocked.
2: And I think we're so well-stocked at centre-half, I'd be looking, I think, as and I agree, and this is on to Andy's point, we did look better when we went to a three. We looked more comfortable. We were able to sort of pass through the, through the thirds. We, we, we looked quite compact um, and we could put our foot on the ball. I, think, I still think that's the way forward for us. I think the issue you've got is you've got this slightly lopsided squad and we don't have a natural right wing-back. I think left wing-back roles we're quite well stocked. You've got Rio there if you want. You've got Tarek who can play there. The right wing-back is a concern which doesn't really allow, allow us to do it. I'm an advocate of a back three. I, think, I, I do like it as a formation. I think if you play it well, you get overloads in different areas of the pitch. The issue is if you play it badly you leave gaps all over the pitch. So it's very much a risk-reward. So if you play it well, you can have some fantastic success. But if you play it badly, you leave yourself holes between the centre-halves, holes between the centre-half and the wing-back. You can leave yourself short in midfield. So it's making sure people know where they need to be and when. But without the right wing-back, it doesn't stack up fundamentally
3: I, I, I agree alex i think the other thing that might make it in our favor at least for the time being is that you you're essentially conceding an extra striker aren't you? you you're not playing three across the front to to make space for that and at the moment with the injuries up front um maybe going with the two were is a you know is a better model
2: actually um you know, and i think it, if you look at the strikers we've got sorry to interrupt there you've made the point on the strikers i think all the strikers we've got are better in a two as well so if you play a 5-3-2 you then got your width has to come from the wing backs. It's not like you're playing a sort of 3-4-3 three, three where you have sort of the, the, the three across the top, a bit like Chelsea did under Conte when they had Pedro and Hazard either side. You don't have that width if you play two central. But our strikers are, are better in the middle when they've got a partner alongside them. Sambu and Aji look better when they're closer together. You can imagine when Long's back fit, he was always better when he had a when last season when he had Porter or Mandron alongside him. So I think that is still gonna be applicable here. But if you go with the two up front, you sacrifice your wingers and your width needs to come from the fullback, uh, your wing backs, and it comes back to I don't think Elvin mellor has got it in him to get up and down that touchline. I actually think as a right centre half, he's quite well suited to that position, but he's not a right wing back. So January will be interesting because if they get some of the loanies' wages off the book, let's take, and we can't say his name, I think Steve said we said it wrong three times last week, Le Chabala. <laughs> um if you get if you get Le Chabula off, maybe you send Brooke back, you free up the wages, you say, Do you know what? We're gonna go with this back three. We've got the players for it. Let's put the money in and get a wing back in.
0: I'm I'm an advocate of the back three and playing that three-five-two. And um, I'm just conscious that a lot of people have got a lot of scars from that last year when it was used rather badly as a defensive tool rather than an offensive um setup. I'm, I agree, I think the front two play better as a pair but the gap the problem is 31 year old Kelvin Mellor is not going to get up and down like a right wing back is he no.
2: and it's it's absolute I mean I played wing back I don't know why I'm talking about my career when we're here to talk about but I've, pl- I've played left wing back it's hard work like you are up and down it's constant so you do need a real engine to do that and I look at Tarek, he's suited for it I think Rio can play it as well the right wing back, well, they'd have to get someone, they have to get almost a specialist in. So if there is a young lad from like Alan Biosu, who we signed last year, that type of player is suited to play. Wing back would be suited for us. And I think it could we could unlock, I think it could help us actually start to play football. Because if you get a Rod McDonald at left centre half who looks quite comfortable on the ball, offered good on the ball at the right centre half, you can then bring the ball out and it gives you that that progression. Okay.
0: Back to the pitch. One final chance and a really good chance for crew, I thought, um, with Ajayi's header when he drifted in at the back post. Maybe should have scored. Notably, it was a cross from Connor Thomas, who gets a lot of grief for not passing the ball forward. But it was a lovely cross, picked up um, Aggie at the back post. Mark, should he have scored?
1: Uh, well, it's, who am I to say he should have scored? It certainly looked like he could have, Um you're a panellist, Mark. That's what you do. You answer the question you get asked. That's who are you to say. Should have scored. Well, I, I'm, I'm in no position to say to Dana you should be scoring. He's a lot better at football than me. I think he probably would feel that he should have scored or at least hit the target. I don't think the keeper's getting there if it's on target. Um, but just on the forwards in general, I, mean, I don't know what everybody else thinks, but um, I, get, I know it's all about goals. Um, of course, I do, playing up there. But I think Chris Long is going to have a real a real struggle to dislodge um, Basala Sambu to get back in the side. I can't remember a crew player um, in the recent past with a work rate like his. It's phenomenal. He looks as fit on the 89th minute as he does on minute one, and he never stops for the duration. And and I've been saying for weeks and weeks now that um, he's a pest and he does give the side something, and it's that something I think that we would miss if he wasn't there. I don't know what you two other guys think.
3: I thought it was his his best game I've seen him play yesterday, um, by some by some distance. Actually, I recognise everything you've described there, Mark. I thought his effort was off the scale. Some some of his touch and strength play. You know, when we were struggling to get the ball out, there's occasions when we got it up to him, and he was you know he was tap dancing between defenders and just muscling them off. It reminded me a bit of um, when we had Dele Adabula back in the day. You know, there was moments where that physical strength combined with good touch was was there. Now. Is it there all the time? Not really. Um, is he likely to sort of, you know, burst through the way Dealy did at times back then? Not. I don't think he's quite that. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I thought he he looked, you know, he looked a proper baller yesterday. Actually, and he played he played really well. And um, yeah, I thought the, the the two of them did excellent actually because I think that, that they were kind of on their own a lot of the time. You know, it was a bit of a, a tough ask up front. Um, you know, the ball being just cleared up to them and, and and having to battle for it. And I thought both of them looked. You know, a real menace. Actually, they did a, they did as good as they could do in a in you know in a performance like that. Um, I was yeah genuinely impressed
2: actually. I echo all. of That's why I left it to you, Andy because you said exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Nothing further to add on the Aji header. You know, you can say get it on target, but actually, it's one of those you get it on target. All right, got it on target. Made the keeper made a save, but actually, he was going risk reward there. He's missed he's missed the target by an inch, but if he gets it the other side, it's a goal. I don't mind that. He's trying to arrow it into that corner thinking, I want to score a goal. He's not thinking, let me get my head on it. Let me get it on target. So it was it was a good header. It wasn't it wasn't actually a bad header, to be fair. It's the point I'm trying to make. He got good contact on it and he just arrowed it, just the wrong side of the post. I would say, Alex, as well, as
3: side on, it looked like it was in. I, I'll be honest with you, my larynx was halfway to Oxford um, as, as that was as that was flying in the air. I was waiting for it to nestle in the corner. I couldn't believe oh, it. I, I, was <laughs> up, I was up
2: as well with the angle <laughs> and everything. You were like, i one of those. Exactly.
0: Um, and it's worth noting, actually, we mentioned we mentioned, mentioned Sambu. Um, if you go back and watch the highlights, it's his driving run from his own half that actually wins the free kick, and he he coasts past all their players, and they just take him down, which probably does him a favour because I think he probably booted it out of play. But um, the driving run looked really, really impressive, and I thought he was great. The ball really stuck with him when they sent it up to him yesterday; it wasn't bouncing off him. was a really good focal point.
2: I think, I think, I think it's the point though. You know, the ball sticking with him. He's not a winger, is he? I think he wants to play through the middle and I think he's better through the middle. And Aji looks better for playing closer to Sambu. So there's an argument, you've got to find a way to almost get two up front, playing closer together. You can imagine Long benefiting playing with Sambu. Sambu does all the donkey work and then Long can sort of profit off it. Um, So there's got to be, he's got to find, I think they're looking at ways of getting two of them up front. I mean, another argument, you talk about is work rate, And I'm not advocating it because there was a particular Bolton game where he did play in this position. But you look at his engine, you look at his drive, you look at the way he gets around the pitch. He's got all the attributes for a wing back. Now, I know defensively he might get caught out, but with the insurance policy behind you, is there there actually a chance of him playing, you know, potentially as a game, uh, you know, almost experiment? with him playing wing-back and saying, wait, if they're right wing-back today, just get up and down that flank. You need to provide width for us. And he, and he can affect the game in, in, in the final third rather than his defensive third.
0: It's the spectre of last season again, isn't it?
2: It is, isn't it? Because that Bolton <laughs> game, he was crap. Um, and it was bizarre that he played there. But if you play it properly and you almost coach him and don't just chuck him in there, I wonder whether his attributes are suited for it.
0: Final 20 minutes of the match. Um and crew adopt um, a fair degree of gamesmanship. I guess we could call it shithousery. We'll say it once, so it's out there, so we know what we're talking about. Um, Mark, how do you feel about the Amex adopting such dark tactics to see out the 90
1: minutes? I absolutely love it. I really do. For years and years and years, I've watched crew be the victim of it um, and try and play, in inverted commas, the right way. Um, and at the end of the day the results that all that people remember at the end um, you know we used to pride ourselves on winning the fair play trophy every year and I would never take that away you know I think that was a I was proud of that every year but the games moved on and as much as I despise the dark arts as as for what they are every other club uses them so what what so crew try and go against the grain and, and sort of Um, play with halos above the heads and get no reward for it no I think it's time that we joined in Um, and it looked you know on the evidence of yesterday like we've mastered it it was absolutely superb Um, and even more sweet that it was against them because I I have a, a real dislike for that football club after their arrogance around their supposed trophy win when they took the title from us and then um Add to that the parading of the trophy yesterday. It was it was absolutely brilliant. Just watching the anger in the faces behind the uh, behind the players in the stands was it um, made my Saturday. It really did. It was glorious. I'm I'm just like Mark. I
2: hate it when it happens against us. Absolutely grinds my gears. And the irony is when we do it, I love it. Give me those Swindon tears, inject it, as all these people say. I absolutely love it. And I don't know, there was a clip on social media going around of Arthur, giving it to the home fans after the full-time whistle. You know, there were some Swindon fans who were absolutely rattled as I was walking back to the station. They were fuming and I couldn't help but chip in, saying I was a neutral, using my accent to my advantage. He's done nothing wrong. Who he wants to do that to the fans, you should win the game of football. You ain't got anything to moan about that, have you? And it rattled him even further. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it.
3: I'll be honest with you. I, I've got mixed feelings about it. I kind, of, um, I kind of like to think we're better than it, if you know what I mean. I think we're better than that. And so it frustrates me a bit. And I think the other time it frustrates me, and this didn't happen yesterday, but the other time it frustrates me is when it, it starts to give off a sort of body language that we're not good enough to win the game any other way. And so I've seen it in games where we've started to, you know, time waste or misbehave a little bit. And it, it creates a slightly sort of negative vibe in, in, in the in the minds of the players. I think that they're, they're basically thinking they're, they're clinging on. Whereas yesterday, it felt like it was more of a, a sort of, you know, a, a, a joyous effort, if you like, alongside all of the, the hard defending that the team had done. You know, the, 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 the back line worked their socks off. They really did, I thought. Um, and I thought they, you know, that was just a tactic to give them a bit of a breather and to give them a bit of a, you know, recognition. They put some hard work. So I, I kind of almost found it okay yesterday. But the the times when it winds me up, it's not so much the the doing of it that winds me up. I just think it says to the rest of the team, you know, we're clinging on here and we and we and we need to do this. And I think, you know, it it'd be better to be on the front foot and a little bit more confident and say, do you know, what we can just go and win this game, you know, fair and square kind of thing. Um, as a thing, it just it's like every football fan, it irritates a heck out of me when it's, you know, against us. Um, yeah, but that's for the authorities to deal with. Somehow or other, they need to, you know, probably clamp down on it collectively in every game if they can. Um, but yes, yeah, yesterday it was absolutely fine. And it kind of seemed like in line with the, you know, the big sort of Dunkirk defensive spirit that, um, you know, the team had put together.
1: In fairness, I mean, all right, the last 20 minutes, it probably went up a notch um, and we did play on it a little bit, but then the referee was buying it. But prior to that, you know, we're 1-0 up at away at Swindon. Swindon's a difficult place to go and get a result, and our record there is terrible, and we're 1-0 up. Then we've got every right to take our time over throw-ins and goal kicks. Why on earth would we be rushing to restart a game and put ourselves under pressure? You know, it's it's one of those things that um, if your team's benefit, benefiting from it, it's fine. But when yesterday, you know, it was happening to Swindon... Um, <laughs> They just couldn't stand it
3: one of the things I would say is that when when a club really is is rattled by it I don't understand why they're not better at sort of sort of demonstrating it to the ref so for me the number of times the ball went behind the goal and the Conco would just wander over and pick it up and then wander back and put it down for a goal kick and and, and kill time by you know doing all of that you know if I was their club I'd want Five ball boys behind the goal, all on their toes, getting the ball back to him in seconds, not not not, you know, almost like actively demonstrating to the to the you know the crowd and to the uh, to the ref in particular how you know how dawdling he was. Whereas actually if you're just letting him do it all and the you know, I mean, I think if the ref was getting complaints from the Swindon players, he'd say, Well, your club seems to be happy with it. They're not doing very much about getting the ball back for him. You know, he's got to wander over there and get it. So, you know, let it go
2: it's as simple as this for me, whilst there is no, it's going to happen to us at some point, it's going to, we're going to do it again in the future. It's down on the authorities to clamp down on it. It's not for us. You know, if they, we're playing, we're not breaking any rules by doing it until there's a stop clock involved in football where it's 16 minutes. And when the ball's out of play, the clock stops. We're going to continually see this. So we may as well do it ourselves as far as I'm concerned, because it's going to get, it's going to happen to us. So we may as well make sure we're doing it against us. As well, Actually, that makes I,
1: sense. I don't think yesterday that the, uh, the the time wasting or gamesmanship or whatever you want to call it was the real issue. Um, alongside the uh, parading of that trophy, there was a real arrogance about Swindon that all they needed to do yesterday was turn up and get the three points and beat little old crew. And, it, you know, I, I love those days. It takes me back to the championship days when I used to see thousands of fans rocking up at Gresty Road thinking, we've just got to turn up here. This is going to be easy. And then go away with the tails between the legs. Um, Swindon have got no right to beat Crew, And um, for me, whatever else happens this season, that's going to be a, one of the, the sweetest moments, I think, uh, beating them there. I can see this becoming one of those
0: weird rivalries that has no relation to geography yeah i agree it's
1: got a feeling hasn't it
0: yeah and in 30 years time people are going to wonder how did this bizarre rivalry start and we can just blame (laughs) poor (laughs) caddis
2: it must be something in that in that neck of the woods though because we had the oxford one when the old COVID situation and now it's Swindon. I don't know what it is in this West Country. Now we've got this big rivalry with Andy, who's obviously down there as well. So, you know, it's that area, isn't it?
0: <laughs> I've got to survive down here, remember, Alex. <laughs> yeah, it's all right.
1: Um, I think that's about it for the Swindon game. Anything else anyone wants to add? Only quickly. Have um, you heard Lee Bell's interview, but he um, he made reference to the support from the, the players on the bench for the lads on the pitch. Um, and I noticed when the players were walking off, the eye follow cameras sort of picked up um, the subs coming off. And Regan Griffiths took time to shake every single player's hand that was coming off the pitch, crew player, I mean, and congratulate them. Um, And for a player that's sort of not featured, not likely to feature, I think it spoke volumes about the togetherness and the team spirit that they've created within that group or within the training ground. And it, you know, it didn't go unnoticed. And I think it was a quite a telling moment, you know, he's he's not getting in the team, he's not likely to get in the team. There are rumours that um, he was perhaps given an, uh, the option to leave in the summer and decided not to. And yet he's still there and he's still behaving like that. So uh, I just wanted to get that and I think it's uh, really good to see. Fair play, he's had
0: a bit of a kicking at times in the pod, so it's good good to see that. Okay, um, time for what now seems to be our weekly feature, which I think we'll call how close is Lee Bell to getting the job now? Um, and obviously we asked the panel last week for their thoughts um, on the management application process and with another 1-0 victory. Um, it does feel like he might be inching closer to getting the job, particularly, again, with the lack of any kind of media information forthcoming from the club. Um, Alex? What do you think? Uh, anything changed in the, uh, in the process of appointing a new manager?
2: Not particularly. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there still needs to be a process to understand if he's the right man for the job. The, the performance, it was a better version of last week, wasn't it? We defended better. Did we have that much quality going forward? Not particularly. It's much of a muchness. Is there, is there enough evidence to give him the job? Do we think that we're going to progress under him? You'd have to say no, because in the three weeks, we've had three of the same performances with three of the same results, but they are results and it's a results business ultimately. So I don't know. I really don't. I, the, the silence is eerie, though. I think that's what I'd say. And I do wonder whether they're, they're thinking and you know potentially looking at going outside, but it's the constraints that whoever they get is going to have to work within. Um, so I really don't know. And as a panellist, you should have more of a forthcoming opinion, but I don't on this instance, unfortunately. Mark, what do you think? We didn't hear from you last week.
1: I think it's interesting to see that the fan base, um, celebrating the, um, the gamesmanship or whatever you want to call it. You know what, we're, what I'm talking about. Um that we've just been talking about for the last half an hour, it it was sort of celebrated last night. And I can't help but feel, because I still think Alex Morris got a raw deal from the fans. And I can't help but think that if we played like that under him yesterday and got the same result, he probably would have been criticised for the lack of football, which I think is a bit unfair. Um, I mean, look, Dario's genius was getting the best out of the group of players he was in charge of. We didn't play uh, silky football under him all the time. It's a bit of a myth. You know, we did play good football, but he also, when we had to sell a player or we had injuries and stuff, he adapted and he looked at the players and he came up with a way of getting the best out of them. And I think that's what Lee Bell's done and is doing. He's looked at the group and thought, OK, we're not going to score a hat full of goals, so the most important thing is to not let any in and let's see what we can do at the other end. Um, and he's doing it, and the results speak for themselves. Um, I'm glad that it's not my call because I think it's when, when we're winning as we are it's becoming more and more difficult um you know in some respects if we'd had three defeats it would be easy for people on the board to say now we need to get somebody in but you you can't argue with results people have screamed all season it's a results business well he's just got three of them and not let a goal in
2: here, here we go though sorry sorry um steve i'm going to go host for a minute mark it is your call what are you
1: doing i would stick um, I, I would stick with that group. I just think that, that Alex Morris, Lee Kenny Lund, that group, that cohort—is. Um, I wouldn't want to lose that togetherness um, and those people that care about the club. Um, and then people are going to be screaming at mobile phones and whatever devices are listening to. On, but that's. I'm just being honest. That's where I'm at.
0: Your name's going to be on Cryonics chart. I tell you.
1: It always <laughs> is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can be honest Mark
3: I think I'm with you as well though I I think um, you know whether it's running the country running the economy or running a big business stability is a is a big factor and for me what we've you know we've gone through a very rocky period we lost a lot of good players in a short time you know we had an awful relegation horrendous you know season of relegation and we we there's, there's more than green shoots now that we're we're building back from that the team spirit you've just described is really strong um, you know, frankly, that's what got the win yesterday. It wasn't the quality of football. It was the, the effort levels without the ball that won the game. And I think, you know, management team, you know, a collective that have managed to turn that ship around, at least as far as they have so far, I think should be given a chance to, you know, continue that journey through. I think there's there's too much risk for me to bring in, you know, a, a completely external face that hasn't been, you know, part of that journey previously and that, uh, hasn't really necessarily... You know, understood the dynamics that are at play in the club. Um, I think, I think between them, Alex and um and Lee have done enough to, you know, warrant sticking with. Um, I certainly think the morale levels, you know, amongst the players and amongst the you know the squad just seemed you know a trillion times higher than they were um through the relegation season. And I think that that in and of itself is a you know is a huge huge
1: achievement actually. But when um, you look at the team last year, there was it was notable, it was obvious, you didn't even need to be a football fan to to see the body language of the team, that they weren't playing for the manager. Now, anybody that watched yesterday would have seen the polar opposite for that. You know, are they the best group of footballers they've ever played for Crew Alex? No, but that was one of the most hard-working, resilient performances I think I've seen for a long time. Um, And a group of blokes that are running through brick walls for the manager, doing exactly what he wants them to do um, and getting results. Um, And I think that you... Uh, you get rid of that at your peril.
3: Yeah, I mean we've got and we've got better players to come in, haven't we? We know we have, you know. So I mean, I thought the the little tiny little cameo Colker had at the end of the game, you know, I know I know Swindon were exhausted and all the rest of it, but he showed some really classy touches, you know. And I was sitting there thinking, yeah, I can't wait for this kid to be, you know, in the team more often. And, and you know, we we know with you know there's others that are going to sort of make a difference when they come back as well. I I'm, I'm, I'm personally I'm for sticking with what we've got. And get you know giving them a chance to you know succeed. We're not in any immediate risk of you know relegation. This team's you know I think it is too good to get anywhere near the bottom of the league. So for, why not let's let's let let them carry on and see how far they can get us with you know with with a few months.
1: After. But Alex, I, I take the point completely. Process there's got to be a process. It's got to be done properly. I think
2: the exam question that needs answering, and it will come back to the business model. How this club operates is its plays football in a certain way and it sells players on for profit. You have to have a manager that buys into that, but is able to get his side set up as such that he can showcase the talents to the best of their ability. So they're able to be sold for a profit. Does Lee Bell do that based on the evidence of three games? The only, you know, people that are showcasing their talents is Luke Offord and Billy Sass Davies. Let's take, for example, so defensively, you don't get your money from your player sales from your defenders. It's your, it's your Kirks, it's your pals, it's those type players which, which we need to put in the shop window. Now, Tabena is one that they'll look to sell on in the future when they get Charlie Finn in the side, when Connor Evans comes back, they're the players they'll be looking like. They need to look at, can a manager get result while incorporating those players into the team? And that's what, they, that's what it comes back to answering. My, my, my opinion is, I'm not sure Lee Bell is able to do that. I think Lee Bell's able to set a side up to get results but results, as bizarre as it sounds, isn't what's going to keep this club going financially. It's not set up like that. The investment in the academy to produce players for the first team to be sold on for profit is as is a, is a such that we have to play in a certain way to showcase these players to sell them on. So it's a prerequisite from the job that you need to be able to do that. And I don't know if Libel can, hence why mm-hmm. I'd be looking elsewhere. But at the same time, I don't know who can do that as an
1: external manager. None of those players are ready yet, are they? Really? I mean... Uh, Tabard has started yesterday, but Charlie Finney and and Matis Holicek and Owen Lund, they're not ready to be put in the side. You know, if he plays those uh, and does that side of the job yesterday and we lose 5-0, then he's got no chance of getting the job. And and, and, and I I completely agree with that. But you need to look more long-term than just
2: the current and see, right, these are the next crop that's coming through. Are they going to develop under the manager and be able to be sold on for profit? And that's part of the prophecy of the process that needs to be. That's what they need to, to figure out, whether he can do that. And it might be that he can do that, and they think he's got confidence to do that, and that's why they'll give him the job. And if they do that via a proper process, no one's going to have any qualms. It does come back to this process point, though.
0: So, it's FA Cup action next for the Alex, um, and it's a tough trip to Barnsley, and rather than our usual preview with an opposition fan, we have um, a slightly different guest lined up to look ahead to the tricky fixture in Yorkshire. <laughs>
4: Hello. So I'm joined now by Steve Foster, uh, ex-Crew, ex-Barnsley player. Uh, And you'll probably notice this isn't Steve, who you've just been listening to. Uh, He is in a shopping centre, so he's asked me to jump on. Uh, I am joined by Andy, who you've just been listening to as well. But hello, Steve. Thanks for joining us. How Are we doing? You okay? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you for for coming back onto the podcast. Um, The reason I've asked you to come on today is we normally have an opposition fan, Uh, with it being FA Cup week next week, I thought we'd do something a bit different, Um, ex-Crew, ex-Barnsley. And you let me know as well that you are actually watching quite a lot of Barnsley at the moment.
5: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I try try to get back to both uh, both clubs. I say both clubs, I play for more than two clubs, but obviously Crew and Barnsley being my... uh, the the main uh, clubs that I played for um, during my career. Um, But just... Earlier this year, for my son's uh, 14th birthday, he was um, wondering what to get for his for, for a present and he asked for a Barnsley season ticket, to my surprise. Um, so we have been going to quite a few games um, and obviously we're friends with uh, AD Moses, who lives over that way, and they've got season tickets, him and his, his family. Um,
4: so it's a good excuse to get over there to see them too. Excellent. He didn't want a crew season ticket, no? <laughs> <Do you>
5: no, <know>? no. <laughs> Well, obviously, he wasn't born when I played for Crew, so he has no memory of, of Crew at all. Um, he doesn't remember me playing particularly much for, for Barnsley, but he remembers the uh, the, the stadium and, and, and going to the games. Um, and he obviously has some good memories there. And uh, whenever his, uh, his, his classmates and his, his friends um, from home ask
4: him who he supports, it's, it's, it's Barnsley. Fair enough. Um, who then should we be looking out for this Saturday coming up? Um, well, to be fair,
5: I think that they're they're, um, they're quite defensively strong. I'll, I'll say that uh, I'll probably uh, put my uh, my foot in it now, and it ends up being a high-scoring game. But um, with uh, obviously a centre half as, as as manager, um, they're set up to be very strong, um, playing their three centre halves. Um, Anderson being probably a standout def- a defender. Um, I think they're um, expecting to have a few offers potentially for him. Um, and whether the manager can keep hold of him is a, is another matter. Um I like Connell in midfield, Scouse lad, uh obviously local to me, who um who gets about the pitch, got a good left foot. Um and then there's Phillips who obviously come into the side the last sort of three, four games, and he's uh, he's got an eye for an eye for goal. Um and then they got Andy Cole's son up front, Devontae Cole. Um, he's got a great uh, song that the Barnsley fans have for him. I won't sing it, but you might hear it uh, during the game. Um and he's very deceptive, um, very tall, sort of a gangular lad, um, but quick, um, deceptively quick and uh, and can take a goal too.
4: Excellent. I don't know if you want to go too much into this, but what sort of style of play should we expect from uh, from Barnsley? Um, I mean to
5: be fair, I think it's the way football is going. I I find with a lot of football that I watch nowadays, a lot of possession based. Um, so it can be quite frustrating as a fan sometimes. It's um when I used to play, we used to uh try and get the fans behind us a lot more in, in creating a more not more direct style of play because we do used to play football, but we used to try and create create the momentum momentum, sorry. Um whereas now they're a lot more patient with their style of play. Um like I say they've three centre-halves, the two wing-backs, um, and like I said, it is a lot more possession-based.
4: Now, it is an FA Cup game. Um, we see, well, I seem to have gone through three stages in my uh, life uh, watching football. The first is the FA Cup is magic. Then it's the FA Cup has lost its magic. And then the third stage, where I think we are now, is do we talk about the FA Cup losing its magic too much? Um, where did you sit on that when you were playing and how important do you think the FA Cup is?
5: Well, I, I was the same as you, to be fair. I mean, the, the FA Cup was was everything when I was a child. Um, you know, you remember not only the FA Cup final, but the FA Cup final day, you know, it almost seemed like it's a, such a big event. Um, but then, yeah, I suppose you could say it's kind of lost its, its shine a little bit. And I don't know whether it's, uh, it's extra special for me because of... The run we had and the run I had in the, in the FA Cup, so it means that bit more to me. But I can completely understand um, when people say it's kind of lost that uh, that that shine slightly, and uh, you know maybe with the top clubs um, prioritising the uh, the Premier League and the Champions League, um, you know the cups, the, the 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 FA Cup, and particularly the you know the league the league cup as it uh, is known,
4: you know taken uh, taken a, a back seat if you like. Uh, we did talk about this when we had you on for your your episode of the podcast, but you know I think it's always worth uh, remembering that possibly one of the highlights of your career came in the FA Cup, didn't it, at Anfield? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, that's why I say. Obviously, you've got a bit of a,
5: a, a, a soft, uh, a special place for me. Sorry. Um you know it was um it was a great occasion, and and that run for us was was absolutely incredible. Um, obviously, beating Liverpool, and then. The media t- attention after beating Liverpool at Anfield and drawing Chelsea in the next round, beating Chelsea, and each round the the whole uh, build up for the games, the the, the press coverage and interest. Um, you know, normally you would know all the uh, reporters and the and the people coming to the ground to do the interviews uh, week in week out. Um, whereas the the numbers kept on growing and growing, um, and the interest the same. Um, and it was just uh that sort of created the whole whole experience and make it that bit uh, that bit special. You've cheered me up slightly,
3: Steve, by um by by dissing it slightly because it's definitely lost its shine for me. And um I I think it, there's a I'm desperate for it to become you know centre stage again because it's such a fabulous competition. But somewhere or other it has managed to you know steal its thunder a little bit. So it's it's reassuring to have a. An ex-pro saying that as well.
5: <laughs> well, sometimes you look at yourself, and I'm I'm looking at myself, thinking I'm getting old now, and, and is that the reason why it doesn't feel quite as special? Because when you're younger, your know, football always seems so so much so much more special. Um, you know, since moving no away from the old Wembley, you know, did that have a an effect? And it doesn't seem to have the same same pull. I don't
4: know. Now, Steve, whilst we got you on, uh, I think it would be pretty uh, remiss of us if we didn't talk about what's happening at Crew at the moment we started the season with Alex Morris um, another well one of your ex-teammates although uh, didn't actually really play any first team football with him because he didn't really play any first team football uh, but he's been replaced by someone who you did play in the first team with Lee Bell uh, we'll start with him were you were you sure he was going to go into management in coaching is this something that you saw in him or is this sort of a surprise that he has now decided this is where he wants to go um, I can't say I ever
5: saw him going into um, into to management coaching. Um, he was uh, he was a, he was a character, and now he is in the uh, in that position. You you look back and, and you look at his personality, and there's probably many traits that you that he has that you think well well that have standing in in good stead um, to to be a manager. Um, you know, very strong willed. Uh, he wasn't uh, afraid of standing up to the to the older pros and, and potentially falling out with some of the older pros as well um you know he's uh, he was very determined um, I'm sure he'll say himself he wasn't um, the most he wasn't blessed entirely with his, his football abilities but he was determined to make um, everything and the best out of what he had um so I suppose in those traits that he had even though I didn't see him going into to being a, a, a manager particularly, um, you know, those traits will stand him in, in good stead and you can see the reason why, you know, potentially, you know, he could do really well.
4: Um, and then Alex Morris, I, again, like I say, didn't really spend too much time in the first team with him, but was he one that you would have always pegged for coaching? Did he have that analytical football brain?
5: I think I think more so, yeah. Um, again, I think I'm going off more of his, his personality than... Um, me sort of predicting that he'd go on to do his coaching um he obviously loved the game and you know like I was saying it was such a shame that he didn't manage to to make it and the injuries he's had and the problems with his injuries was you know it was uh, is a real real shame and he showed real determination to try and get back from those injuries but it wasn't uh, it wasn't to be but he had that love for the game to to go on and stick uh, and stick in there to, to you know to make um make a living out of the game which um you know is uh you know, great credit to him. One of the great debates amongst crew fans is the is the
3: existence of the academy. And, you know, I think it's really positive that we've ended up with an academy graduate, you know, now standing in the dugout, managing the team. It's almost the kind of, you know, really is sort of, uh, you know, a family club in the true sense, going all the way through childhood into being a player, being a, you know, and then as, a, uh, as he gets a bit older, going into the dugout. Just, it'd just be great to get your reflections on your experience of coming through, you know, Cruise Academy, and you, you know how that set you on the road to you know professional career.
5: Yeah, I think well, if you look at uh, the the coaches, well, what I had during my time at uh, Crew, you know, there was obviously Dario. Um, from the moment I came to, uh, Crew, he was coaching the the kids. You know, he's taking the first team, and he's taking a couple of age groups of of the kids as well. And obviously, his uh coaching ability is is well world-renowned, um, you know, he, the, the things that he he did, the plays he brought through. And obviously there's this, uh, Steve Holland as well, who's um, with England now, doing uh, doing really well, having been at Chelsea and um, and Terry McPhillips as well, who, you know, did really well, um, doing really well. Um, you know, so we had um, a great selection of, of coaches to not only learn from as a... As a player coming through, as a young player coming through, but also to take on board, you know, their coaching techniques and and the things that they taught. That then the lads who have gone on and and done coaching and are in coaching, you know, they can and they always look back at you know the ones I speak to and and take um, and take a lot from from the coaching and the coaches that they've been under as as kids. Yeah, it's
3: good to hear. I mean, I don't know how aware of this you are, but um, lots of the crew fans look on the on the boys that come through through the academy and then go on. Uh, they, they might go on to play for other clubs, but they're always considered to be crew players first and foremost, you know, they're always kind of ours and lo- lots of the fans are watching their careers you know, with great interest actually, feeling like they've, okay, well they've gone on to better themselves and play at higher levels and probably earned more money, um, but bottom line is they're still our player.
5: <laughs> yeah, and I you know we, you know, the lads who have gone on, you know, will always say they look back and 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 they owe a lot to, to crew um, and everything they learn at crew and you know at the end of the end of the day that crew gave us our first start in football, you know our first appearance and all that um, experience, which potentially we would never have got at another club um you know I was um at man United when I was eleven years old um then crew asked me to go and train, so I had that decision to stay at united or go to crew and I decided speaking with me uh my dad at the time, it was a better decision to go to crew um Obviously, with their, um, you know, the, the the coaching that they had and the record they had of bringing young players through. Um, and they had a better opportunity of getting into the first team and getting experience of first-team football. That's good
4: to know. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. I've got one final question, and I don't think you're going to like it because I know you've got a foot in both camps. Um, but I'm going to ask you for your score prediction for Saturday, please.
5: Well... You know I don't want to sit on the fence too much, but I don't think I don't see too many goals. Um obviously uh crew have had a great uh, few games uh, defensively. Um Barnsley aren't um on gung ho as far as an attacking force is concerned. So um I can see a narrow win whether I mean, it should be a Barnsley win, really, with uh, them being in the in the in the tier above. Um so I'd probably say a one-nil win.
4: Okay, thank
5: you, Either Steve. Way, I,
1: I...
4: Well, we'll just ignore the fact that Lee Bell's only had one nil win since he started managing So, You know, that's the only result we have at the moment. So, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Steve.
5: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: So, um, Barnsley are sixth in League one and have an excellent defensive record. It's going to be a tough game. Um, Andy, how do you rate our chances in the Smith Davis derby?
3: Well, I need to... I mean, I need to sort of declare a position up front. I, I'm not a fan of the FA Cup anymore. I think it's it's died as a competition in my mind, to be honest. And the sooner we get out of it, the better is lost, in my view, these days. So I'm not I'm not at all bothered. I can't see us. I mean, I think they're a decent side, and I, I think they're a, a you know, a club on the up is how they genuinely feel to me. So you know, I'd be I'd be resting a few and, and not worrying about it too much personally. But I know that I know that won't be a popular opinion. Most people want a, a Premier League third-round tie. And, um, and believe me, if it comes along, I'll, I'll happily take it. But I'm, I'm never that bothered
0: about the FA Cup these days. Mark, well, do you agree? Up for this one or not really bothered?
1: I want us to go through, obviously, I want us to win every game. And I'd love a, a, a cup run and a big, you know, another Everton night at Gresty Road. Um, but it's a, a horrible draw. It's a tricky looking game. And I think it's a free hit, really. I think we can go there. No pressure. Try and enjoy it. And, um, and you never know. You know, I, who... Who would bet against a 1-0 away win at the moment? Alex?
2: I, I would bet against a 1-0 away win at the moment, just to answer that question, firstly. Oh. <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, you know, I still do like the Cup. It's, you know, actually, I take that back. I do like the Cup, but it's more the, you know, concept of the Cup rather than the Cup itself. You know, that second round draw, when you were waiting for it, the anticipation of who you're going to get, and then you get Barnsley, and then I was effing and jeffing around the house... I was telling my old dear to get lost. Don't talk to me. I had the raging hump. Dad was like, why have you become a 10 year old child again? You know, it's, it's still obviously, I uh, still obviously care about it. Cause I wouldn't have reacted like that. Um, but it is an uninspiring draw. It couldn't have been much trickier in terms of what you could have got, you know, a, a league one side pushing for promotion. Um, but it's a chance for someone to make themselves a hero and get us, get us a chance of a, of a, of a magic third round tie. I mean, all you really want as is get yourself a draw, get yourself in the hat and then you never know what can come out. If you then go in there and you get hollow away like we did last time we had a draw in the second round of the cup, who cares about the replay? Bin it off. I think the club um, are more interested in the club than we are as fans because there's the substantial prize money that goes beyond it. I mean, if you get to the th- third round proper, I think you've already racked up about 200 grand's worth of, of prize money and then factor in what you can get in terms of a potential televised tie, etc. So, we're not exactly flush with cash. So anything we can do to swell the coffers, I think they'll be they'll be they'll be keen to do it. And it might come back to if you have a cup run, gives you a bit of extra, you know, you can invest that back in the playing squad and potentially get that right wing back we were referencing earlier in the pod. So yeah, am I up for the cup? Yeah. There's a train strike, so I can't go to Barnsley. Um, but if if there wasn't, I, I probably would have gone anyway. I think it's it's you know, I haven't been to Barnsley, I think. 2016 would have been the last time uh, we were there, or 2015-16 season, the infamous uh, Davis season when we got relegated. I remember a 2-1 victory, Ryan Colclough, Laurie Dallavalla. So, yeah, I'll take a 2-1 victory on Saturday.
1: I think Steve makes a good point, actually. They are a club on the up and they are having a good season. And I think, um, secretly, I'm hoping that their focus and priority is all on the league and they'd see it as an opportunity just to rest one or two uh, of their key men which may just be a, a, a benefit for us, and, and maybe a, a sneaky backdoor into round three. Well, you've already alluded to various
0: scores, so I'm now going to put you on the spot and see if you're going to put your metaphorical money where
2: your mouth is. So, Alex, prediction for Saturday. I've got. A, I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll get. I don't think we'll win. But I've got a sneaky little feeling we're gonna we're gonna
1: we're gonna nick a draw and get ourselves in the third round of the hat. So I'm going to go one each. Mark. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go 1-0 away win.
0: And Andy, if you could overcome your negativity to the cup and and give us at least a score.
1: These guys are doing a
3: good job of trying to talk me around. But honestly, I think it's it's a a bridge too far. I I think we'll lose 2-0.
0: Thank you. Well, the women's team were in action on Sunday. So let's have a listen to how they got on.
6: So I'm here with Lauren Cooper, captain of crew, Alex Women, um, after a 6-1 win against Darwin. So after a great performance from the girls today and a result to match, what do you think clicked today to win so comprehensively? Um, I think over the past couple of weeks, we've been training really, really well. um, Starting to just, you know, grow together as a team. Obviously injuries keep happening to us, which disrupts the flow a bit. Um, So I think, yeah, training, we've just kind of taken what we've been doing, training into the game today. Um, I thought we were... Quick out the blocks from the start. I know Darwin, I think they had a bit of trouble getting stuck on the motorway. Um, So we kind of got at them straight straight from the off and 3-0 up inside 15 minutes, I think, which obviously settles any nerves on such a big game for us today. Um, we knew that we needed to get the three points, and that's exactly what we've done. So, yeah, I couldn't be proud of the girls today. The defence looked so solid and limited the opponents to chan- to half chances. Have you worked on that at all in recent weeks? Yeah, Um. obviously... To be fair, the defense <coughs> sorry, the defence normally is quite solid. Um usually and obviously over the past couple of weeks, you know, we've conceded five and, and four obviously against West Brom and, and five the week before. So we've um yeah, we've done a bit of work on that at training and kind of learning to adjust our feet and, and knowing when to drop and knowing when to step, which has obviously helped us massively today. <coughs> next week is cup action once again is this something that you're looking forward to as a team or would you prefer to get some more league games under your belt um obviously the cups disrupt the league flow a bit <clears throat> um we're obviously wanting to try and get as many points on the on the table league table as we can so obviously yeah cups disrupt that flow a bit but i think from our point and from our perspective and our point of view, you know, nothing changes, whether it's a cup game, whether it's a league game, obviously a cup game, we want to win, we want to get to the next round. And obviously, if it's a league game, you know, we want to get three points on the board. So I think from our point of view, nothing changes really in terms of whether it's the cup or the league. Obviously, next week will be a bit of a different test. um. But yeah, really looking forward to it nonetheless and try and get through to the next round of the cup. Finally, you're building a great little fan base up at your new home. What does it mean to the players to get that kind of recognition, especially from the youngsters? Yeah, I think that's a massive one from me. Obviously, we we can't thank the crowd enough that come down to watch us. I know it was raining at the start of the game today, so it's it's never very appealing to go out and and kind of stand there and watch. But we just want to try and put on a performance week in, week out for them um, and try and get them to keep coming down. Obviously, the youngsters are massive. I know there's a little girl that comes to watch us. And travels home and away to follow us, which obviously we massively appreciate. And um, it doesn't go unnoticed from the girls. I think today when we scored, you know, it wasn't just for us. It was for all the people on the sidelines as well. So, yeah, that that doesn't go unnoticed. That's great. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you.
0: So Wednesday night saw the evening of the Football Content Awards. And as you're all aware, the pod had been nominated. Um, We were represented at the event by Stu, producer Dave, Tim and Mark. Obviously, we have Mark with us here today. So, Mark, tell us about the evening. Obviously, we unfortunately didn't win, but it is an amazing achievement to get there. Tell us about your night in Manchester.
1: Well, I think that's the main thing to cling to, um, is that we were nominated. Um, You know, it was quite a prestigious night and, and very well run and very posh. And it was one of those moments where you look around and think, what am I doing here? um so it's a, a great credit to Stu and producer dave and everybody that appears on this that we even got um nominated um no we didn't win and it, and you know it doesn't i don't want it to sound like sour grapes but uh, it was very much the very well supported clubs um and very well followed on twitter podcast that picked the awards up which you know obviously makes it difficult for a, a club and a podcast the size of us to compete with that um but again i think that that sort of emphasizes what a, an achievement it was to be uh, nominated. But it was a great night. Um, we were on a table with some Blackburn fans who run the uh, the Rovers Chat podcast. Um, Dean Windass made a uh, a really good really good speech on stage about his battles with mental health, which was a, a really good And How he struggled with him, his mental health since retiring from football. Uh, Kevin Ellison was an, another person that we we spotted. There was various people off the telly. I managed to get, uh, a selfie with one Emma Jones that works on Leeds TV, uh, the future Mrs. Bertels. Um, it was a really, really good night. And, you know, for me personally, the highlight of the night for me, uh, was getting to spend the night with Tim, Stu and Dave, and we talked football, we talked podcasts, um, we talked this podcast and, uh, yeah, it was a really, really enjoyable night. And, um, it would be amazing to think that uh, we could get nominated again. I think that's what I'm going to take away from it. It's a, a huge pat on the back for for everybody that's involved with this. It's um, And to be honest, it was an honour and a pleasure to be able to represent what I think is an amazing podcast.
0: And I think, um, I think you've already mentioned it, but a big thank you to everyone who listens and everyone who voted to, to get us there. It's an amazing achievement in the face of some competition from some far, far bigger clubs with far bigger fan bases than, than our humble selves. Finally today, this week saw the sad news that former Alex forward Francis Joseph had passed away. Despite only playing 16 times for Crew after signing in 1989, Joseph was remembered with, with much fondness from Crew fans at that time. Um, along with Roger Eli a couple of years previously, he was also one of the first black players to represent the club. Andy, from the uh, from the panel today, you're the only one of a, a reasonable age enough to remember Francis Joseph. And any particular memories of him playing for crew?
3: Yeah, it's very kind you say, Steve. I, th- I think my my main memory really is if just if just what the buzz was around the Alex in that period, um, because you know having you know Dario come in in the early 80s and he, he and he started to improve us. By the time we got to you know 88, 89, 90 with promotions and. Um, you know, and all of that, and so we were bringing in uh, players like Francis, who were just a cut above, to be absolutely honest, and we and were, and we're better than anything we'd seen, you know, in in the you know in the decade previous. Um, and so my recollections really are not in you know huge detail, not all not all this, you know, time later, but just just the fact that he was part of that. Um, you know that real early buzz that we had you know back then about you know the, the, the club was starting to go places frankly and um, and starting to not just be a, a languish at the bottom of the fourth division forever uh, team that we've been before. and I think you know recognizing his contribution to that you know to that journey, there was a number of players like that came in you know relatively short burst uh, you know input but, but 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 honestly changed the vibe and I think um, you know it's obviously really sad news that he's you know that he's passed on.
0: Uh, it's funny that you mentioned buzz because one of the things I remember about him was he loved to run with the ball and there was always lots of buzz when he picked it up and he was he was a bustling kind of centre forward um, and I think he would have played many more times for us but I think he had lots of niggling injuries, scored two goals in the 16 games, um, played with real enthusiasm and I just think it was unfortunate for him due to those injuries meant he didn't, didn't appear more in the red shirt. And obviously our, our condolences from the pod here go out to, to the family of Francis Joseph. That'll be us today. So we will be back next week with another pod. But for today, big thank you to the panel um, for popping on and offering their services. Uh, thank, you
2: thank, you. Back, back yes, thank you for having me. Back to back weeks. Absolutely. See you, more, see you more than my mother, Steve.
0: <laughs> well, by the sound of it, you were in a fairly foul mood for the other day after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.